series in James with a second um, installment, and we realized that uh, the real winter showed up, and we've been blessed with a nice winter so far, and uh, we've been getting pretty cold the last few weeks, but it looks like the, the winds are bringing the Caribbean to us this coming couple of weeks. I think we're supposed to reach 40. I haven't seen 40 degrees in a while except with a negative behind it. But, um, but hopefully uh, you had a chance to watch the live stream last week or uh, you can take a look at that and review. I think it was a, a good sermon. Um, this one I'm probably more excited about. Last week we kind of talked about not showing favoritism and that's not one we always, it's not high up on the priority list of uh, church sermons, right? The one we're doing today is high up there. <laughs> but I like the way last week we kind of tied together um, not showing favoritism with taking care of those uh, less fortunate and how James kind of talked through um, what pure religion is, what genuine faith is, and that's caring for the widows and the orphans. And so we kind of kind of uh, centered the theme around that message. Uh, just want to say hello to those joining us on the live stream. Appreciate you uh, joining with us today. And if it's in a few days from now, I hope you're enjoying the even warmer weather. And so bless you as you're joining us today. We're in the middle of our series uh, from James, kind of titled it Practical Living for Practical Faith. And just trying to give, going back to kind of the basics, but um, James does it so well. He, he spills out some uh, really deep, really shallow stuff, easy to understand stuff, and then takes it deeper. And today uh, is no different. This week's nugget of wisdom is found in James chapter 3. If you could turn there, uh, James is in the very back of your Bible. It's, if you find Revelation, just turn backwards a little bit. Uh, James, I, haven't, I don't know if I pointed this out before, but uh, James was the brother of Jesus. And uh, one of the leaders of the early church, he wasn't around much during Jesus' ministry on earth. Um, there's a couple of different times that they talk about Jesus' family was maybe a little bit, um, I don't know if embarrassed is the word, but a little bit caught off of um, just the threat that Jesus was to the people, and they probably felt a little threatened as well. And so some of the mention of Jesus' family was that, uh, let's just take him and let's calm him down and get him back home and just not you know, worry about it. So James was probably... Um, amidst the brothers that um, did that. And so we don't know a whole lot about James until the book of Acts. And then he's a leader of the church. And so obviously he had um, an encounter with his uh, older brother and understood that he's more than um, a big brother, but he's a savior and a king and Lord. And so uh, James is writing to not just one church in particular, but believers across the area. And so he, it's, and he's one of the earliest uh, writers of his letter compared to some of the others. And so he, um, he was well-respected and just writing some of these practical ways of, for people to live out their faith. 
And so we'll start in James uh, 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 12. And then kind of, I want to read it as a chunk, and then we'll kind of go back and break it down. So it says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, and it sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come uh, praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. A lot of powerful stuff in there, and we're going to break it all down in the next half hour. It's going to be powerful. And and one of my, um, the key point, and we'll have it up there, is that I believe that you can recalibrate the way your thoughts are produced the filter which they go through before you speak and therefore changing what you say about yourself and what you say to others. We may think we're stuck in our ways. We've always thought this way. We always talk like this. But no matter how old, how long, no matter, God can change. God transforms. And this is a, uh, so important. I, I would Uh, preach this to the youth and try to get them uh, early on, if they could just adjust how they talk to people, how they talked about themselves, how they talked to others, the things they would say. And with the power of God and his redeeming love for us, he can change um, that. Before we get into how that's done, I want to lay uh, some groundwork for you. Proverbs 18, verse 21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Or you may have it memorized, life and death are in the power of the tongue. Literally, the words you speak have the power to cause growth or to cause harm. Think about that. I put it in italics in my notes so I wouldn't skip over it. Very powerful. Literally, the words you speak have the power to cause growth or to cause harm. 
Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Jesus taught this in Matthew 12, uh, verse 34. He said, out of the overflow of the heart, out of the abundance of the heart, whatever your heart is full of, your mouth speaks. Whatever thoughts your mind and your heart constantly consist of, those will come out in your speech. In this section of James 3, he gives reasons why we should control our tongue, and then he tells us how to do so. So I want to talk through uh, some of the reasons, and they're listed in, in these. I'll kind of give you the verses that I'm finding them in, but reasons we should control our tongue. So right off the bat, he says, as teachers, so not all of us are called to teach, um, and teaching can be any, you know, he's not just talking about preachers from a pulpit, but, you know, the kids church teacher, the nursery teacher, school teacher, and he's, he's kind of focusing more on the Christian, um, you know, in a Christian setting, um, but it's true no matter what type of setting. He's saying that what we teach impacts students and it sticks with them long term. We will be judged more strictly because of that. Our words will be judged more strictly because what we are saying as a teacher, uh, we're over, we have the authority over um, the students that are listening. And so in this setting, you're listening to me, no matter how much authority you put in me, right? But I, God is going to judge me more strictly from what I say uh, from in this type of setting because you've come here to listen to me, right? And so if you could picture that in any uh, teaching setting, the teacher has more responsibility uh, for what they say, more accountability for what they say. When a student places themselves under that authority, they trust what the teacher says. You grow up thinking, okay, I went to school, so what my teacher says must be true. Now we have the internet, and if it's on the internet, it has to be true, right? But it's the same sort of thing that when you, you expect that when you sit under a teacher, that what they're going to teach is true and accurate, and they're not going to lie to you. They're not going to have an agenda. They're just going to teach the facts, right? James, uh, because of this, James stresses to the teachers that they will be judged more strictly. Like I said earlier, he's most likely focusing on Bible, Christian life teachers, not so much on math teachers or English teachers, but the same is, is true of them. But God is going to judge us more strictly of what we're teaching others about him and about following Christ. So we as teachers must be careful not to lead students astray or cause them to stumble out of the Christian faith. The second reason is the damage that the tongue does. Uh, it spreads very quickly. Not only are we affecting our own body, our own mind, our own soul, but others as well. Our thoughts um, our thoughts only hurt us, but when we speak them out, 
they hurt us and they hurt the people that we're speaking them to, right? Or even the people that uh, overhear it, right? Once it's out, oh, you don't know how many people have heard uh, what you're saying. James uses the analogy of a fire. He likens the tongue, a small member of the body, to a spark which potentially causes a forest fire, being from uh, the northwest. Fires are started when someone just tosses a cigarette or they're at a campfire and they toss the match or they, any small uh, thing can cause a, a brush fire that causes a forest fire and then you're putting people out of their homes and it all started with a little spark. The tongue is like that, James says. The tongue uh, being a fire illustrates two thoughts. It represents the fiery spirit inside us that governs what we say. Sometimes we'll use the excuse, well, that's just the way the person is. They're fiery, so they're just going to say whatever, and you don't need to pay attention to that. Well, it's hard to not pay attention to what's being said, right? And so uh, James is saying uh, the fire is like the fiery spirit that governs our tongue and the destructive power that it exercises. Fires, not just the flame, but even the smoke uh, of fire damages. Um, it spreads quickly. You don't know where it's going to spread necessarily, how fast it's going to spread. There's, there's a lot of an analogy here that's like uh, the words that come out of our mouth. It's a, James continues, it's a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. Well, how does my tongue corrupt my foot or my, my arm, right? Well, Jesus, this statement is amazing. And how does, it, uh, how does what you speak corrupt your body? Um, Jesus spoke about it to Pharisees one day. Um, they, they came to Jesus and they had observed that, this is in Matthew 15, and they had observed that while eating, the disciples didn't wash their hands before they ate, and so now they're defiling their body. And Jesus speaks to them in verse 11 and says, What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. And then jumping to verse 18 through 20, he says, But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. A moment ago, we read Jesus saying our mouth speaks what's in our heart. And here he uh, goes further and ex expounds on that, that the evil thoughts that come out of our heart and that are spoken out uh, will corrupt us. We have a sinful nature. And it's been a while ago since we studied Romans, but in Romans it's called a sinful flesh. And Paul talks about how uh, we're, we are born in sin. Our, our instinct is to do evil. It's not, we're not born to say, oh, mommy, you know, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Uh, I don't know what your kids' first words were, but mine was no. 
Anything you want them to do, no, I'm going to do what I want to do. We're born selfish. We're born looking out for ourselves and doing, saying, thinking the way we want to. Our heart, our soul, and our mind tend to think and do that which is evil. We are selfish human beings, but we don't have to stay that way. Praise the Lord that uh, our heart, our mind, our soul can be redeemed through Jesus Christ. That we don't have to say, well, this is the way I was born. I guess I'm going to mess up all the time. I guess I'm going to say whatever I want to say. We, we don't have to live that way. So that is all how much damage the little tongue can do. The third point uh, reason we should control our tongue. He says that our life's course is set by it. I'll be honest, and a lot of times when I read this chunk and I even preach about it, I kind of uh, kind of don't spend enough time on this point. But as I was studying this week, just felt like this is one of the bigger uh, effects of the tongue. It sets the course of our life. It's related to the warning of the teachers because what we are taught builds our worldview. And some would say James was saying, well, you can put a bit in a horse's mouth and and lead them wherever you want to go, much like a teacher would teach the student and lead them however, whatever worldview they wanted to put on that, that student, they're going to teach that, okay? But... um what comes into your little window of the world and what you speak out of that same little window, it literally sets the course of your life. Depending on how you were raised, what you, um, you know, where you were raised, what you were taught, what you thought kind of builds that framework. I grew up, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time of this, but I grew up in the Navy and had friends from countries all over the world, wherever their dad or mom had um, found a, a spouse and then come back to the States. And so I had friends from Japan and South America and Africa all, all over. And so I didn't understand uh, racism, really. When I went up to Spokane, Washington, it's the furthest from the deep south, right? And there, I mean, there was racism everywhere, but I, I was raised in the worldview that I, I didn't see that type of racism. Honestly, uh, in Spokane, they had a large, uh, a lot of uh, Russian um, um, refugees from a couple of the wars and stuff like that. And so in high school, we had bigger issues uh, with what we felt towards Russians than African-Americans. But then I moved to Missouri, and I didn't understand how anyone could be raised with that worldview, right? And so it really, um, and Missouri's not even very racist when you go way deep south, and some of you are shaking heads and understand what I'm meaning. And it's really what you've been taught, how you've been raised, what your thought life is, what your parents have talk to you over and over and over what you've learned in school, what you've been taught. And so that downloads in your brain, all right? And you think, oh, life is this way. And then you grow up and realize 
No. Uh, life it can be different. The other th- ways that your life's course can be set by your tongue is what you think of yourself, what you think you can do or can't do, what you say you can do or what you say you are, what other people say you are, uh, what they speak over you, really sets the course for your life. If you say, I can't do this, or if someone told you, you could never do that, you probably won't. If, a, if you have a goal or if you have a dream of something that you want to do or you want to be, but constantly say why you can't achieve it or you'll never be able to do that, you probably won't. I'm reminded of a, a fun but very true poem. It goes like this. If you think you are beaten, you are. If you think you dare not, you don't. If you like to win, but you think you can't, it is almost certain you won't. If you think you'll lose, you're lost, you've lost. For out of the world we find, success begins with a fellow's will. It's all in the state of mind. If you think you are outclassed, you are. You've got to think high to rise. You've got to be sure of yourself before you can ever win a prize. Life's battles don't always go to the stronger or faster man, but sooner or later, the man who wins is the man who thinks he can. So much of what you say affects the trajectory of your life. I was in a youth pastor training one time, it might have been just at a camp, and talking about how the one thing you can say to a young person can affect the trajectory, it could change the trajectory of their life. That if you can speak to them the truth, that they've grown up thinking this way, whatever the worldview, what is whatever they were, had poured into their mind, whatever negative, whatever false, whatever wrong, whatever lies, you can change the trajectory of a person's life with a positive, truthful thing that you say. Studies have shown that people have affected their health by being positive in their thoughts. Harvard University did a study of 70,000 women. So this isn't just a you know, 1,000 group uh, deal. That's a lot of people. And they found that those who were optimistic had a significantly reduced risk of dying from several major causes of death, including cancer, heart disease, stroke, respiratory disease, and infection. And this is over an eight-year period compared to with women who were less optimistic. And so one professor concluded, higher optimism directly impacts our biological systems. So... Don't get weird on me and claim that you can speak anything into existence. That if I say I'm a millionaire, I'll become a millionaire. Uh, I'm I'm not uh, jumping to that extreme. I'm not preaching that I will be perfectly healthy my entire life and I can live however I want to live and expect to uh, remain healthy forever. But what I am saying and what others are saying And what studies are showing, and most importantly, 
what the word of God says is that your words have power. They have influence. They can change your circumstances. The last one before we talk about how to control our tongue is that our tongue is double-minded. It heals, it speaks life, but it also wounds. It's a restless evil. And one commentary said, this means that your tongue is, is unstable. The evil words that come to our minds are, are quicker to come out of our mouths than the good words. So people around us, they, they cannot know what to expect from our, our speech. Will we praise our Lord and Father or will we curse men who have been made in God's likeness? Thus it destroys us personally by continuing the division inside ourselves and it poisons community by making people afraid of what we're about to say. Oh, this person's coming to the room. Uh oh, what's, what's going to happen? We're, it's, our tongue is double-minded. So how do we control the tongue? It is vital. It is vital for us to manage it, to control it, to tame it, to do our best. Verse 2 says, when you keep your mouth in check, you keep your whole body in check. Psalm 39 verse 1 says, I said, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I will put a muzzle on my mouth while in the presence of the wicked. Wouldn't it be awesome if we just walked around and we could muzzle ourselves? We know, man, when I'm around this person, I just need to zip it, right? Um, I mean, maybe it's just me and my wife here, but, <laughs> but it would be great if we had a physical uh, way that we could obstruct our tongue, right? But here's a few, here's a few thoughts uh, to encourage you with today. <clears throat> First off, you should learn the truth. And you should um, know the truth and speak that. So I can tell you, well, you need to speak life. You need to speak truth. But if you don't understand it in your own life yet, you need to learn that. You need to know the truth. If you have had terribly negative things spoken to you or spoken about you, learn the truth. Learn what God thinks of you. Learn who God says you are. Second, determine to speak life, to speak timely words. Proverbs uh, 15, 23, it says, A person finds joy in giving an apt reply, and how good is a timely word. I've been reading um, in Proverbs. Proverbs has 31 uh, chapters, and it's an easy way. If you do a chapter a day, um, you can remember which chapter you're on, and you can fulfill it in a month and then just start over. And when I made that uh, thought of like, oh, I'll read Proverbs once a day, and then I started uh, preaching on James, and I realized how often uh, I would read the chapter, and like, whoa, this is about what I'm going to be preaching on that week. And so this week, a couple of uh, chapters, Proverbs 15, 16, uh, 18, I think is another one, 
that have several uh, teachings or wisdom. It gives a lot of quick wisdom statements that talk about uh, how the righteous um, speak life or how they, you know, how the wicked don't and how they, uh, how it, how our words affect our righteousness or affect others in uh, wicked ways. And that's a very general statement, but it's cool how um, when we're studying one thing and in the word of God has different, so many different ways of illustrating um, the message that God is trying to speak to you. So a person finds joy in giving an apt reply and how good is a timely word. Have you ever had someone that, man, this person spoke a, a timely word. We don't really say that very often. But what I do hear a lot is they'll say, man, this person told me this statement and it was so encouraging. Man, it really meant a lot to me that that person, it was exactly what I was going through. I needed to hear that. Um, in a roundabout way, we say this, and this verse is very true, that when a word is spoken to us at just the right time, at just the right way, exactly what we need to hear, how uh, wonderful it builds us up and encourages us, uh, wow, you've just caused growth in that person. I have a couple of friends in my life that I love to hang around uh, because they are always so encouraging. I wish I could be as uh, bubbly is not the word because they're confident in it and they know uh, that what they're speaking is true and they're quick to see what needs to be said and uh, what word, what timely word needs to be spoken to uh, which individual and just it's powerful uh, and so I like to gravitate towards them and when we're in the room like man I just want to hang around you because you tell me how awesome I am you puff me up you make me feel like I can do anything man according to these uh, friends I'm the greatest pastor I'm the greatest husband and the I'm the the best dad and I'm the best looking man <laughs> Okay, and so we like to be around those type of people. Go ahead and tell me more, tell me more. You don't really know uh, what I'm doing wrong, and I've probably messed up a few times, but man, they know how to encourage and lift us up. So seriously, it's, it's so powerful to speak timely words, encourage someone at just the right moment, right when they need it. You never know when that will be, it's hard to say, oh, on this day, on Tuesday, I need to speak this to that person because it's going to be right when they need it. It's hard. We don't know that. But a lot of times uh, when something is, uh, God lays something on our heart, you need to say this to a person. When we do that, it's timely for that person. Like, wow, I really needed to hear that. I've... Uh, heard testimony of that over and over and over again. You never know when it will be, so always be positive. Always speak life. Always be an encouragement. You never know what one of your comments uh, may build up life in a person. Just as I've heard testimony of direct, like, 
and God told me to say this to you or bring this verse to you. And I don't know what it means in your life, but I'm just obeying and here it is. Like that's happened a lot. But also I've been in conversations uh, where just the topic that the person was spouting off about uh, in that topic, something encouraging just hit me. And God's like, grab that. That's for you. Listen to that. Take that to heart. And it's powerful and it's timely and it builds life. It brings life. Finally, I'll, I'll end with our main solution. The key that uh, the first two ways will flow out of. Verse 11 and 12, when you first read it, it kind of thinks, okay, well, yeah, obviously you, you can't have fresh water coming from a salty spring. You know, you can't, um, they can't flow from the same. I'll just read uh, those two verses and then um, speak about it. James says, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So when we first look at it, you think, well, that means like, well, the tongue can't uh, also praise God and curse men at the same time. It can't uh, bring life and uh, death at the same time. And so we understand, oh, well, that's not good to do that. We shouldn't do that, right? We should clean up our language and speak more positive than negative. But it goes deeper. It goes deeper than that. James is pointing out that since incompatible things cannot come from the same source, fresh water and salt water can't come from the same source. And something cannot produce what is different from its own nature, like a, a fig tree cannot bear olives. It's not this from the same um, nature. A grapevine will never produce figs. So the solution is for the source within the person to be unified in a proper nature. That is, not only must the human will be unified rather than divided, but it must be unified according to its proper nature. Let that settle for a moment. And what's our proper nature? If you go back to the beginning of of James's talk. He says that we've been made in whose likeness? God's. So if God, if we've been created in God's image in his likeness, then our will, our source of all our thoughts, of all our speech, of all our actions, of all we say and do, our source should be God's image. It should be God's nature. The solution is for the source within the person to be unified in a proper nature. The proper nature is God. God's will, God's nature. Jesus Christ is the source that we need to be unified to. Worship team, if you would come. 
We're going to close with this thought. When we receive uh, Christ's forgiveness, and we celebrate it in baptism today, our life is redeemed. Our heart is restored. Our uh, God becomes the source of our heart, our soul, our mind. Earlier in James, it talked about implanting the word. The word is implanted in us. If we want to uh, change what our thought is, if we want to change how our uh, speech is, what we say, if we want to uh, tame that tongue, if we want to control that restless evil, it all comes back to the source. What's the source of our thoughts? What's the th- source of our mindset, our heart set? And it should be Jesus Christ. It should be God. And we can allow, we can have that transformation in our heart and in our soul. That sinful nature that we used to think with is now redeemed. And that's no longer who we are. The people that have said, oh, you've always been this way. You're never going to change. They're wrong. That's not the truth. You have to know the truth. You have to learn the truth. And the truth is that that sinful nature, that sinful flesh can be changed. It can be redeemed. It can be restored. You can kick out all the negative. I think a couple in the first, mo- uh, first teaching of this, we kind of use the computer uh, analogy. You just need to uninstall that software, right? And install new software. James uses some machinery in, uh, in his analogy of the ship. What's driving our ship can change. You don't have to be stuck with, well, I've, I was raised this way. I've always been this way. I don't know if I could change. You can change. God can change you. And he wants to do that today. Would you stand with me?